Okay, I'm going to read a few scriptures uh, this morning. And uh, this is about God's thought, God's one full thought, which is Christ, as, as we've been taught. Uh, in John 1, verse 14, it says, The Word, and even in verse 1, John 1, 1, the, in the beginning, the Word, the Word with God, the Word God. And we know that the Word God, the, the very manifestation of, of the Word that Christ is and always was with the Father in all eternity, when he put on humanity, he came as the full thought an expression of God, who God is, what his nature and character and essence is, and as a result, just how much God is for us in his full thought by giving us his son, by having his son in John 1 and verse 14, put on humanity to dwell among us. And we're thankful, again, we, were so, we have so much to be thankful for in the midst of no matter what we're going through because he is interceding for us. God's full thought, the very word, Christ himself as a man seated at the right hand of the Father in Revelations 1.20 and scores of other scriptures where he's seated at the right hand, completely satisfied and resting in the Son of his love in his thoughts towards us. And they are amazing. And so we see the battle, the battle for the Christian is the mind of man. It's the mind of the Christian. What our thoughts are. So in Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep your heart. In other words, keep your mind, your lab, your mind, L-E-B, mind. Keep your mind with all diligence, with all care. Because out of it are the issues of life. Meaning, our thoughts wherever they proceed from, will be that that directs us. What manifests, what it will either be true or a lie to us. Proverbs 23, 7. It is these scriptures, these truths that arouse in Christ are so amazing when we see them and understand them. Because God's thoughts towards us are all love and out of that love proceeds incredible wisdom, and wisdom is the guard against anything that would be foolish. We're going to see this. We're going to go into it tomorrow with the men and the opportunity again to talk with Mike on Monday and how he has, he's telling me he's stirring up the men there, stirring them up with the word and the importance of it. And we're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to get into uh, right this morning, we're going to get into God's thought towards us. But tomorrow, we're going to get into what is, the, what is the thing that comes against it, and it is the foolish lies of the enemy, foolishness. But what we see here in Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, For as a man thinks in his mind, so he determines that's who he is. That's Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his mind, so is he. And eat and drink, he says to thee, but his heart, his mind is not with you. You see, a fool who doesn't think with God, everything about their life is just the details. The details of life become their way of thinking and that that directs them and, and teaches them that's who they are and that's why it's so important, all the details of life. You can see that in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Those 34 verses there, you can see it. It's interesting how it starts out with prayer. Prayer is teaching dependence, depend, teaching us not to depend on anything other than God's full thought towards us, which is Christ, who is the Word of God. It's very, very necessary. And so we can see that when we're not occupied with Christ, we get occupied with all the details of life. They become our object and not Christ, thus making us very subjective. And subjectivity simply means that now it's up to us to lean on ourselves as a source to accomplish those things that have to do with the details of life and not Christ himself. And so we can see how critical it is, critical. The book of Proverbs goes into wisdom like this is just unbelievable. 
And, and so we can see all these different scriptures here, even as we read them in Proverbs. And, and so, but we can see in Proverbs 18, verse 1, it says, Through desire, a man having separated himself, separates himself from God's thought, separates himself in his position, and thus that affects his, his experience about truly who he is in a proper image. This has to do with thoughts. Through desire, in Proverbs 18, verse 1, a man having separated himself, seeks and intermeddles with all wisdom. All kinds of false wisdom. Verse 2 says, a fool has no delight in understanding. Boy, we're going to get, I can't wait to get into this in its depth and, and, and it's such counsel for us tomorrow. A fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart, his own thoughts, apart from Christ, may discover itself and see all those false needs that are dictated through the lust of the flesh. We see it in 1 John 2, verse 16, where it came from in Genesis 3 and verse 6. But what we see here in these scriptures, in the very word of God, God's wisdom towards us, we can see in Proverbs 20, 24, that man's goings are of the Lord. How is it then that a man can understand his own way? What's, where does understanding coming? What is understanding? It's how to think properly. How to think properly. And not get weighed down with the details of life and all the lies and all those other things we put ahead of seeking God, seeking his word, seeking fellowship. And again, prayer, prayer again, in Matthew the sixth chapter, it goes into prayer, how prayer teaches us dependence and how we need to depend upon his thoughts through his word. And that's why when we don't know how to think, even with, with what is ours in Christ, we need to be taught how to think properly so that we can function properly. And not just function as products of time, but as truly who we are, peoples of people, those that are of eternity, having that eternal life on us in 1 John 5, verse 11, that is Christ. We need to think in time with the eternal thought of God to keep us separated from living just in time in the details of life. Everything's about us. Our whole plans, our whole schedules, our whole thinking has to do with the occupation of self. If we don't have Christ as our full thought, and that's what prayer teaches us. Matthew, the sixth chapter, it starts out by prayer, teaching us how to depend on him and his thoughts and not the details of life. Not that at all. And so we see that man's goings are of the Lord. How is it that a man can understand his own way? Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Belly is emotions. What are our emotions? Our emotions are the indicator of the content of our thinking. If I have good emotions, it's because I have the thoughts properly in God's order in the initiation of the mind of Christ. And if it's God's thought initiated towards me, proper thinking, I have good emotions. Because emotions can't think. All they do is can respond or react. And so we can see it again. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the emotions. The, again, the emotions reveal... What is the content of my thinking? It just reveals it constantly. I get so over, we get so occupied with things, honestly. We, we make certain things in our life. If we don't have God's thoughts, if we're not protected by his love and not covered experientially by his love, we become subject to everything. And then even the things that we go through, even if it's mental, emotional, or even physical pain, the enemy can get us to so focus on those things that they overwhelm us and become even greater than what they are. There's no question about it. I am thoroughly convinced of it. Because the truth of the matter is the multitude of disease, which is dis-ease, 
The word disease is disease. It's just simply psychosomatic. Soul, how I perceive things affects my body. Well, fact of the matter is, we need God's thoughts. And his thoughts about us are so incredible. They are so incredible. No wonder it says these certain things as we, as we look at them. Look at, and, and Jeremiah 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not left up to man to think apart from Christ. It never is. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that wants to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me. And boy, we need correction. If my thoughts aren't right, my life won't be right experientially, even though my life is Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 4. Even though he is my life, do I experience my proper place and position in him with the proper image if I don't think clearly. And this is what we need, every single one of us, and that's why we need correction. No wonder it says in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, don't get weary at God's correction, his love that does the correction, which is his proper thinking, his thoughts about us in Christ. Because every son that he loves, every one that he loves, that his son, he corrects and chastises. And we see it again in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in verses 4 right through 11. We see it crystal clear how he's constantly teaching and instructing us. So, Lord, correct me, but, but with justice, with judgment, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. And, of course, there's no anger in him when we're in Christ and in, in thinking with Christ and his thoughts of love towards us. So we can see that crystal clear in the scriptures. We see it because here's our opportunity, and this is the opportunity that we have this morning. What God is doing right away is correcting us with godly counsel, taking us right right outside of all the false thinking and false lies instantly and lifting us up, lifting us up from the top in Song of Solomon 4 in verse 8, where we view vertically who we are while we walk horizontally on this earth. Everything about us has to do with God's full thought about who we are in Christ. That's why it says in Psalm 139, it says in verse 17, it says, How precious are your thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them. You know, I'll tell you how great it is. It's because we have been positioned in Colossians 1 and verse 13. We've been made meet, qualified to be children, to walk in the light in Colossians 1.12 because he's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us, positioned us in the son of his love above everything. God's thought is above everything. God's thoughts about us in Christ are above everything. We don't think like the world. We don't worry. We don't doubt. We don't act like fools, those that that don't have proper thinking. We don't do that because of who we are in Christ. It can happen, but that's why we need the correction of the word. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O Lord. How great is the sum of them. I'll tell you how great they are. We'll never come to the end of his loving thoughts towards us because we've been placed in the son of his love. We see that crystal clear in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, even thinking. You love me this much? Yeah, it's even more. <laughs> it's even more. In verse 18 of Psalm 139, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Are we still with him in our thinking? Do we continue to think with him? What is, what is our prayer life? When we wake up in the morning, what is our first thought? Is it his love? Is he above everything? And is Christ above everything? <clears throat> well, we can still be with him. We still have his thoughts. His thoughts towards us are endless. They are incredible. Instead of functioning like the world, and this is how we can. We can function 
just like the world, but it isn't, op- it isn't God's thoughts. God's thoughts towards us have nothing to do with what is going on in this world system. But Christians will get so occupied with it. They get overwhelmed. Even Christians today, they can get overwhelmed by what's going on in the world, not only in their personal life, but in a global sense. They can get overwhelmed and use that to define themselves instead of living in the proper definition about who they are in Christ. And we can see it very, very clearly. We see in Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked, the unbeliever, through the pride of, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Their thought is not God. Their thought is self. It's all about self. Not God's loving thoughts towards us. They will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. You imagine a Christian being placed in the full thought of God, which is Christ the Word, being placed in a positionally, yet experientially, experientially, God is not in all their thoughts. You know why? Because their thought is not who they are in Christ. You know, again, it says in, it says in Romans 14, 22, happy is the man. This is only a man or a woman in Christ. Happy is the man or woman that condemns not themselves, even in the things that they allow. So if I allow bad thoughts to be, determine who I am, and then I have to worry about bills and finances and works and health and getting consumed by all these thoughts, well... Happy is the man that condemns not himself. So even if I did think that way, God's thoughts towards me are not condemning me. There is no condemnation in Romans 8.1 in Christ. There isn't any. So happy is the man that condemns not himself. So when you come to hear the word, and so maybe we were functioning in our own thoughts, and then all of a sudden God's thoughts come in towards us to move out that condemnation and to bring us again into a joyous experience about who we are and the son of his love. Proverbs, uh, uh, Romans 14, 22, happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. And he that doubts is damned if he eat. Is there any doubt about who we are in the son of God's love, his full thought? Is there any doubt there? Then what would we doubt? What would we worry about? What would, what would be there for us to worry about? I mean, in Romans 8, verse 31, if God for, God for us, who can be against us? Having given us his only son already, will he not with him freely give us all things in Romans 8, 32? I mean, does he not have every single detail in line and taken care of? Happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that, that he allows in Romans 14, 22, because in 23, he that doubts is damned if he eat. Is there any damnation in God's thoughts about who we are and the son of God's love? Never. Never. Is there any doubt there? He that doubts is damned if he eat. Is there any damnation in Christ? He that doubts is damned if he eat because he eats not of faith. Whatsoever is not of faith, absolute dependence upon God's thought and his word, his counsel, Many Christians go without it because a multitude of other things get in the way. Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And God knows our frame in Psalm 103 verse 14. He knows our frame. He knows that. And there's no condemnation. But there's always going to be plenty of conviction in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32 to keep out the condemnation that is active in the world, which we are in, but not of, in John 17 and verse 16. So we see that he that doubts is damned if he eat in Romans 14, 23, because he eats, he's not feeding on God's full thought, Christ's loving thoughts. See? And he that doubts is damned if he eat because he doesn't feed on faith. Whatsoever is not of absolute dependence in God's thoughts towards us is what? It's a sin. So we get occupied. We get occupied. We lose our joy. We lose experiential freedom. And then we become in bondage, just like all the other unsaved. And then we have to be busy doing other things. Unbelievable. Thank God it's not who we are in him. Like the unbeliever in, in, in Psalm 10, verse 4, 
Listen, through the pride of his countenance, and the countenance means, if we see Isaiah 3, 8, and 9, their countenance testifies against them, meaning that we can wear, even on our countenance, our thoughts. It's called nonverbal. It's called nonverbal. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. We need to study, study, study in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 to be quiet. We need to study to be quiet. We need to be still in Psalm 46 and verse 10 and know that he's God. Be still and be ready to receive God's thoughts about us. And that's what requires patience and discipline and preparation. Those things that the enemy comes against so we don't function in God's full thought or his present counsel for us each and every single day through his word. God is not in any of their thoughts. Well, you know, it says, in Psalm, and we'll read this in Psalm 50, and as we see as the Holy Spirit so beautifully correlates the truth of the Scriptures, we see in Psalm 50, verse, verse 21, these things have you done. What things? What do we do? What causes us to, to live? What causes us not to, to, to function in a certain way? What causes that? What causes the fact that we don't? It's our thoughts. Thoughts cause us to move in action. And so it says here in Psalm 50, verse 21, these things have you done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether such a one as yourself, but I will reprove you, and he reproves all those that, that he loves. I will reprove you and set them in order before your eyes. And how does he do that? Through his counsel, through his loving counsel for us his loving thoughts towards us. We don't live like the world. How does the world live? How does those that are unsaved live? Well, we see in Isaiah 57 and verse 19, God says, I create the fruit of the lips. What's that mean? The fruit of proper thinking. In, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is what? What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, which is self-control. And against such, there's no other law. There's no other way for us to function in the fruit. And it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14 takes the things that are, that are Christ and he shows them unto us. That's why it says again in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, the way of man is not in himself, it's not in man to direct his own steps. We need to know how to think because in Romans, we see that in Romans 1 and verse 17, we go from faith to faith, from dependence in God's counsel to the teaching and preaching of the word to the next step. Because the steps in Psalm 37 and verse 23 are ordered and ordained of the Lord. And they, and steps have to do with how to think properly, how to walk, how to think properly, and what we should do even in our little schedules that we have and that we make. We see it very clearly. Isaiah 57 verse 19, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace. Do I have peace? Is there any peace in doubt? Fear, anxiety. The whole world runs through anxiety. Again, that's Matthew the sixth chapter, one through th verse 34. Stop being anxious. That's what it says right there in those scriptures. In Matthew 6, 1 through 24. If we were dependent upon God and his thoughts, it would keep out all anxiety, all the lying anxious thoughts. What am I going to do? What am I going to do in the future? What are you going to do in the future when you miss his present, his present thoughts and his present counsel, his loving counsel? So necessary. It's so necessary. In, in, in Jude 20, keep yourselves. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's all the counsel that we need constantly because we will so soon forget him without proper counsel. Without a proper place, a proper counsel, a proper place to be taught, we will keep, listen, that's what it says. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith and thus keep yourself in the love of God, his loving thoughts toward you. Keep yourself there. And we need that because he says again, 
I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near, says the Lord, and I will constantly heal you. You'll have a constant healing. But the wicked, the unbelievers, and Christians can function just like that, but through the lies of the atmosphere. He's the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. He's very subtle, Genesis 3, verse 1. But in Isaiah 57 and verse 20, the wicked are like the troubled sea. Why? Their thoughts are constant trouble. Why? They're occupied with themselves and thinking with themselves, with the thoughts of the liar completely separated from God and his loving thoughts towards us. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. Everything now becomes, it's all trouble. Well, God will use that that self-thinking of trouble. He'll even use it. He'll use that. Because in Job 23, verse 16, the Almighty troubles me. He'll use the troubling thoughts of us to make our hearts soft so that his word, his thoughts, can penetrate. Meaning, it has to do with the will. It has to do with the will. Because if my thoughts are not Christ. They will be troubled thoughts, and that's what will will activate our will to try and do something about it. Apart from God, completely apart from him, we become so occupied with things. And the enemy can intensify those, intensify those things that we're occupied with. The wicked, in, in Isaiah 57 and verse 20, the wicked are like the troubled sea. What? When it cannot what? Rest. (laughs) No rest. Where is God resting? In in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, he's resting in his love. He is resting in the son of his love, and the son of his love is resting in him, and that's our proper place. That is our proper place. But the wicked are like the unbelievers I like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Mire and dirt, all these bad things. There is no peace for the believer experientially outside God's thought, saith my God to the unbeliever. Can Christians function just like an atheist? Yeah, and who's an atheist? I don't want God. I have to do something about it. This is what this is what God is teaching us through our apostle, the apostle Paul, as he was teaching those those Jewish Christians that were born again, but were going right back into the law again, thinking they had to do something. Now, that's like a Christian thinks that they can study on their own. That's that's what a Christian thinks that they can study on their own. They don't need God's order. They have their little devotionals, and that's enough just to get by. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Listen, Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Let us therefore reverence. Fear here is reverence. Let us live in awe and reverence of God and his loving thoughts towards us, lest a promise being lest us of entering into his rest. Is God resting? Is Christ resting? Is the work finished? Is God's plan finished? No wonder it says, is God's plan finished for us? Is his plan finished? His plan is in his son, where all his thoughts are. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're thoughts of what? Peace and not evil. Christian, believer today, are you occupied with evil? Am I occupied with evil? Some form of evil? Some form of suspicion. Is there any suspicion in God's love for us? Or is he not in control? Truly in control about everything. Not only in my personal life, but in everything that's going on in this world today. Is God in control? He said in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not evil. So that now you can experience now in time my eternal settled plans about you and the son of my love. Literally. Literally. No wonder. No wonder it says these thoughts about us. These thoughts of God are all in his Son, and they are immovable, immutable, unchangeable. They just don't move. They 
don't move. And no wonder, it says in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, the Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved you, and I love you with an eternal love above everything, knowing everything that would happen to you in time, every single need that was again met in Philippians 4 and verse 19 in Christ. That's why we can, and the only way we can do it is through Christ, through God's full thought in Philippians 4 and verse 13. But he said, the Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an eternal love. So before time ever was, before you ever were, I had everything taken care of in the son of my love. Why worry? Why betray trust in him? Why be occupied with self-consciousness? No wonder the word comes in in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul, selfishness, self-occupation, wrong thoughts, separates that soul from the spirit, God consciousness, being conscious of God's love and control of me. And his love is controlling and keeping me in the son of his love. In 1 Peter 1, verse 5, we are kept by the power of God, which is Christ himself. Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. So Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved you with an eternal love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you to me. He draws us away from the lies, the projections and thoughts, the imaginations and the strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, and draws us with his love. You see, his love actuates even our love for him when we submit our wills to him in obedience. We're more than conquerors in Romans 8, verse 37. The lie is, no, you're not. You have to do something about it. So we're going to close this this morning. A lot of counsel, a lot of scriptures, but a lot of counsel. A lot of it. That's why we, by the grace of God, we record these things. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Let us therefore reverence, let's reverence him in the love that he loves us with lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Come short. Why would we come short of the rest that's ours in Christ? Why would we think that we need to be in control? Because we fall short of his thoughts through the lies and projections and thoughts of the enemy. We read those scriptures. For unto us, was the gospel preached, the full truth about who we are in Christ. Now, he's teaching them, not just their salvation, but the whole truth that he had been teaching them all along, these Hebrew Christians that now are part of the body of Christ, but were going back to the works of the flesh, fleshly thoughts about what they thought they needed to still do about what Christ had already finished. You know, he's finished everything about us. Did you know and did I know that? I mean, he's finished every single thing about it. Hasn't left a thing undone. That's his full thought. His son. Where we're located. Again, in, in Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. So why are your thoughts below? Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Read it. Why are your thoughts below? Why is everything about your thought? As a believer in Christ, positioned above everything, now it's below. Why? For unto us was the gospel preached, all that teaching. In Ephesians 6, 16, that shield of faith, those, all that teaching whereby we quench all the fiery thoughts and missiles from hell that seek to consume us by getting us overwhelmed with thoughts that are not of God. No. For unto us the gospel was preached as well as unto them. But the word preached unto them the word that was preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with absolute dependence upon them that heard it. Never mind those that don't even come to hear it. How are you going to mix faith, dependence, with God's counsel when you don't even get it? You don't even get it. Husbands, <laughs> husbands, initiate God's thoughts toward your wives. We all need to do that. We'll hear about it. 
tomorrow. For we which have believed, do we? Do we, do we even have God's thoughts to believe with? For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I sworn in my wrath, if they will, if they will enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What are we worrying about? What are you worrying about? I'll tell you, you know where worry comes from? Being occupied with something about self apart from Christ. Gravy. Help us, Lord. For we which believed have believed do enter into rest. We enter into his rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spoke in a certain place on the seventh day. And you see this in Genesis 2, 1 and 2. After that work that God created, the physical work, the uh, and material work of the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 31. When God finished it, he rested in, in Genesis 2, 1 and 2. On the seventh day, he finished all his works. Listen, all the works about you and I, everything about us in Christ has been finished in Christ. What's my thought today? What will replace trusting him fully? What will replace that? Thoughts that I think that are mine, that aren't even mine, because no man is master of himself. Because in Matthew 6, 22, if your eye be, be single, Christ, full thought, your whole body will be filled up with light, purity. But if your eye be evil, and now you have a defiled conscience, even as a Christian, is anything pure in Titus 1 and verse 15. But if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light in Matthew 6, 22. Okay, but if your eye be evil... Thoughts, bad thoughts, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Everything's dark. And if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. No, sir. You can't think two things. You can't mix light with darkness. We're going to get into that tomorrow. Because then Christians live in the shadows. You know, what's a shadow? I know the truth, but I don't submit to it. And I mix darkness with the light, and I live in the shadows. God help us, all of us, and we all need it. We all need to encourage one another in God's thoughts about us in the son of his love. So, again, for, for he spoke in a certain place, in, in, in uh, he, uh, Hebrews 4, 4, a place of the seventh day. That's our place in Christ, resting on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. You know, God rested in what Christ accomplished for us on Calvary. He rested in it. He rested. We're saved by grace. God's gracious thoughts. We're delivered in Ephesians 2.8. We're delivered by God's gracious thoughts. He's not looking for us to do. He's looking for us to receive. That is the very, that is the very word carries grace in the passive voice. We just receive. Everything about us is receiving what's already been done. Everything. So, again... He spoke on the seventh day. And in this place, our proper place in Christ, proper thinking, if they will enter into my rest, seeing in 4.6 of Hebrews, there, therefore it remains that, that some must enter in. What's that mean? We've already entered in in our position, God's full thought, but how, now what is my experience? My experience will be based upon the content of my thinking. That's why Colossians 3, verse 16 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let the word of God dwell in your experience, the full thought of Christ in you for that day and that proper counsel, that counsel that you need today. Not resting on yesterday's counsel. No. New counsel for today. New counsel. And not living by the excuses the enemy will give us and those excuses, there, there is no excuse for us in Christ. God, Christ has done away with those. And you see that in, in uh, John 15, verse 22. Again, in 4, 5, 4 6. Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of what? Unbelief. I'm, no, no, I can't trust God for this. No. Yet God's plan failed. 
<laughs> the plan that he accomplished in his son about every detail of my life. <sighs> no wonder certain individuals need change because they meddle in Proverbs 24, 21 with them that are given with change. Hmm. Verse 7 of Hebrews 4, again, he limited a certain day saying to David, today, after so long a time as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Don't harden, don't make your will so hard that you no longer receive God's thoughts and counsel because you're so busy. God. Christians are so busy with the details of life. They're so consumed by the selfishness of the details of life. They don't even have any time for God or his counsel. And they wonder why they can't sleep. They wonder why they don't have peace. They wonder why they get caught up in the world system just like the unsaved and don't have peace. Don't have it. And that can be true about any of us. But thank God for his loving counsel. And you know, in all of this, God doesn't even see us after the foolishness of the enemy's thinking that enters our experience. He does not see us that way. We are not fools in his eyes. We are located in the son of his love. But how do we see ourselves? Is how we see ourselves the same thinking and the same content about how God sees us? No, they couldn't enter in experientially to the rest because of unbelief. Because, because, because why? Their hearts were hardened. I'm not going to come. Not going to. No, I'm too busy. I'm too overwhelmed. That's what Mike was, I, I believe he was saying to those guys, the, the men in Texas. You know, it's time to wake up. Because the day of our appearing, the day of Christ coming back, or us going to see him is a lot closer than we ever thought. If we think properly, by the way. Again, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Really? There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, Christ's rest, which he's made that particular believer's rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did. What would cause us to work and get worked up? With thoughts. Thoughts that aren't his. Get overwhelmed. Everything's about me. See? And then I want everybody to see what I'm going through. Maybe I don't even talk about it. But my whole conduct, my whole behavior, my whole countenance is see what I'm occupied with. Now why don't you get occupied with me about it? Is that fellowship? Not fellowship. No. Let us, therefore, let us, therefore, to enter into that rest that's ours experientially based upon a position and a plan that's been settled from God for all eternity, but being worked out in time. Let us, therefore, enter into that rest through submission of our will from, for coming to hear the word. And getting God's counsel for us every single day. God, some Christians, they just rely on just a little devotional and think that's enough. Geez, I don't know. You sit down to a full meal that God has prepared for you and you just eat one part of it and then you leave. Tell me, do you have strength for that day? It doesn't even make any sense. It's so, no boy, God help us. God help us. Let us therefore enter into that rest, that counsel, teaching that we need, that we don't have and can't do ourselves and maybe think we can. Lest any man fall, not from your position, but in your experience, fall after the same example of unbelief. Unbelief. What is unbelief here? Disobedience. That's the word in the Greek. Disobedience. Disobedience, and the, and the enemy will give us every excuse under the sun why we can live in disobedience and think it's okay and think we'll be okay and think that God will be okay in his love for us. He won't be. For the word 
of God. What is the answer to the disobedience, to the wrong counsel? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Oh, some, the Christians, they're living in their soul. They're so self-conscious about them. They don't even care about anything else. They don't want the piercing word. They don't want that word. That's like a fire that would consume the wrong thinking in Jeremiah 23 and 29, or a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, that stronghold. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, that stronghold, where I don't want the piercing word to come in. I don't want it to affect my disobedience. I don't want it. That that stubborn will. Oh, my God. Listen. God is only concerned with one thing about those that he loves, those that he's already provided for fully in the son of his love. It is they, he doesn't want sacrifice. The enemy gets Christians with, with living in, in ignorant areas and rebellious areas of disobedience and thinking that, that, that they can serve God. Well, you better read, and I should read, 1 Samuel 15, 23. God is not, God is not interested in, in your sacrifices, the fat of rams. He's only concerned with obedience. He's only concerned with obedience. For, for what is pride? It says rebellion. Rebellion is as pride, says witchcraft. Rich witchcraft, functioning as a believer under the atmosphere. Where do you think thoughts come from that aren't Christ's? Where do you think they come from? Where do you think they come from? I can't do this. I can't be there. I can't go there. I can't be with these people. I can't. All such evil nonsense. Rebellion is his witchcraft. Stubborn, stubborn, unbreakable will, unbending will. For rebellion is his witchcraft and stubbornness is as idolatry. God Almighty, help us, Lord. It's so intense. He needs, to, he needs this. We need his loving counsel for us because the enemy, we are a target. Christ in us is a target. You and I can be sure of that. For the word of, the, of, of God, which is Christ, his full thought, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of self-conscious living, everything about me and all my plans and my great schedule, and spirit, God-conscious living, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner, a critic of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, we either function in God's full thought in Christ and his counsel that we need constantly, or Genesis 6, verse 5, listen. The thought of man outside of Christ, the thought of the Christian living in the flesh that they're not of, in Romans 8, 9, is only evil continually. That's Genesis 6, verse 5, and Genesis 8, verse 21. It's only evil continually. Every thought, purpose, desire, and plan is only evil continuously. And as a Christian, I, outside of God's thought, his loving counsel towards me, I'll call good evil and evil good. I'll put light for darkness, darkness for light. I'll put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter in Isaiah 5, 20. And it's all because there's no light. Proper understanding through counsel that I can't get myself. Oh, I may think I can, but I can't outside of God's order, outside of a local assembly, outside of proper teaching. There's no light in them. Again, in Isaiah 8, verse 20, but thank God for his loving thoughts. You know how God, is he so wants to shower his loving thoughts on us. In Romans 5, 5, the love of God is poured out without measure, constant thoughts, We read it this morning. It's like the sand of the sea, continual loving thoughts that protect us and keep us from acting like fools under the prince and power of the air that we once functioned in. And when I don't go forward in obedience, in submission will, in the counsel of God's love, through proper preaching and teaching, through its preciseness of that light that gets brighter and brighter as we see the day approaching in Proverbs 4 and verse 18, all I do is go right back again to all those fleshly lusts. They direct me. They direct us. And not the love of God, his love for us. Oh, God so loves us. And Father, we thank you this morning for the depth of your love. 
Oh, how you love us. But oh, how the enemy hates us. And tries to get the believer to function in the flesh. In the flesh. Instead of functioning in the love of the Son of God's love, our very position in Christ. Father, we thank you for your love, your deep and gracious love for us this morning. Thank you so much for your loving counsel this morning. Thank you for it, Lord. We thank you and praise you for it. Thank you that you've given us the word in such preciseness, you and you alone. We're just vessels that you designed to pour your loving counsel in, to to wash us so that we can confess things that we need to in 1 John 1, 9. Confess areas of disobedience, known disobedience and self-occupation to the replacement of being occupied with Christ in Luke 19, 13, and then to be free. There's no freedom out, there's no freedom in a free will that doesn't submit to God's loving counsel. There's no freedom. And for freedom's sake, in Galatians 5, 1, you've set us free. So just be free to be so loved by him on a continual basis, on a continual basis. And that's what makes it so important for husbands to be proper initiators so that they can initiate proper proper thinking to their wives, to their wives. And those that don't have husbands, they can be loved and, and counseled in a, in a local assembly to protect them and, and to love them so that they don't have to go here, there, and everywhere and be occupied with every other thing under the sun. Get occupied with things. And thank you, that you, Lord, you've called us to be faithful, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's amazing what the enemy gives Christians to be occupied with. Can't come and hear the word for some reason, but then an, an hour later, instantly so feeling better. Wow, so interesting. Father, thank you for your love for us. There's no condemnation in your love for us. None. Plenty of conviction. Loving conviction. But no condemnation. There's not one thought of God that condemns us. So we thank you and praise you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.